So what kind of king will he be, this long-awaited king? And why is this king one who, if we know him and understand him and trust him, why is this king one who is good news of great joy to you and to I, to me? We're going to see two truths about uh, Jesus, this promised king from our passage today. I hope we'll see from these truths why Jesus is good news of great joy to us at Christmas. So this is our first truth we see about Jesus from Luke's account. is this. Uh, Luke wants us to see heaven's king who stooped to a manger and stooped to a cross to save us. Luke wants us to see heaven's king who stooped to a manger and then would stoop to a cross to save us. There's a number of places we could go to see this, but I'll, I'll go to particularly verses 1 to 7. So let's read verses 1 to 7 again. It says this. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There's quite a lot of truths in this passage about Jesus, quite a lot crammed in there for us that Luke wants us to grasp. But firstly, as Phil pointed out, Luke contrasts two different kings. We have King Caesar, who's then compared and contrasted with King Jesus. So we're told that Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be made of all the people in the Roman Empire. And he's probably doing that because it'll help him to collect taxes. And yet, even though Caesar was the emperor, undoubtedly the most powerful man, the most powerful person in the world at the time, and he's claiming that God was at work through him, working his purposes out, so that uh, when it comes to time for Mary to give birth, uh, Joseph and Mary will be, born, will be in Bethlehem, and Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Uh, God is providentially at work through Caesar, this mighty ruler, to fulfill his purposes. God is in charge and Lord of time and history. Uh, and like Phil points out, you know, Caesar looks powerful then, whereas uh, baby Jesus looks weak. And yet today, when we reflect today, 2,000 years later, you know, nobody really today follows Caesar, and Caesar is largely forgotten. Yet today, millions of people around the world follow and love the Lord Jesus. Caesar's largely forgotten, but Jesus is alive today and loved and followed by millions. So uh, you look to what's happened to the most powerful man in the world then compared to uh, Jesus now. We're also told that Jesus was born in uh, Bethlehem, the city of David, King David. And he's also born in the, the lineage, the, the line of King David, because Joseph is of David's line. Uh, and Joseph effectively adopts him as his own son. So Jesus is coming as the one who's promised in Abraham's line and promised in David's line, fulfilling all those Old Testament prophecies and promises for God's people. But the thing which I think strikes me the most and comes out... Uh, the most in Luke's gospel is just the repetition of Jesus being the one who was, uh, when he was born, he was laid in a manger. 
this is entirely unique to Luke's gospel. You don't find it in either Matthew, Mark, or John's gospel. And Luke repeats it three times. He wants to emphasize that when Jesus was born, he was laid in a manger. So if you look at verse 7, it says this. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And this will be uh, verse 12. Verse 12, it says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then in verse 16, it says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. He says it three times. He wants to emphasize it. He's underlining it because he's, he's trying to tell us something uh, through this, that Jesus was laid in a manger. But of course, a manger is an animal's feeding trough. Uh, an animal's feeding trough where an animal would go for their food. So this is heaven's king. Heaven's king who's come all the way from the glory of heaven. He's descended all the way to earth. And he chooses to be laid in an animal's feeding trough to be our saving, our king. The feeding trough might well still have smelt of the odour of animals. They may well have uh, been there in an, in an, anim- an animal's uh, shelter, maybe a shed, where the animals were in kept, maybe still have smelt uh, of the animal's odours. It shows us the beginnings of where Jesus began his life. You know, Jesus, our King and Saviour, wasn't born into a palace or into riches, into high places. Uh, he was laid in a manger. It no doubt points as well to the fact that his family was poor. Mary and Joseph, it seems, they probably didn't know anyone else in uh, Bethlehem. They didn't have any networks, any connections in Bethlehem, anyone who could take them in. Uh, and so they have to settle for an, animal, an animal's uh, shed. Uh, and their poverty is also uh, emphasised as well by the fact that when they come to bring an offering in the temple, all they could afford was a, a dove or a pigeon, which are the offerings of the poor. So Jesus, who could have chosen to be born anywhere, the King of Heaven, he chose to be born to a poor family and laid in an animal's feeding trough. While he's the King of Heaven, he's praised by the angels, followed by millions, and he knows his destiny as the King of glory. He one day, every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess that he is Lord. This is where he chose to be born. It's completely different, isn't it, to the mighty uh, power and pomp of someone like Caesar and the mighty Roman Empire or king, a normal human king. It's different to the riches and pomp of worldly glory and worldly kings. Yeah, you see the Lord, King of Heaven, lying in a manger. I'm sure many of you will have uh, know of uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z. I'm sure there'll be a, I think there's a picture come up on the screen of them. I'm sure many of you know, know of them. If any of you know them, I'd be interested. Uh, I don't think any of us will actually know them for ourselves. But they're really famous, uh, really wealthy, really successful. They're not just stars, they might say they're superstars for their careers. And uh, they've been very successful. Apparently, when they had their first child, uh, they spent apparently about a million dollars in getting themselves ready for their first child. They had a private dietitian, private photographers, private midwife, a room specially set up. And so they spent a million dollars getting ready for their first child to be born. I guess for them that's just normal because that's the kind of figures of money they have. 
And then apparently after their child was born, then they actually spent another million and a half dollars in building a nursery for their child with apparently a $300,000 rocking chair and a silver rattle and all different things for their child. So that's just the kind of people they are, the kind of money they have. Well, you know, Jesus could have been chosen to be born anywhere, couldn't he? He could have anything, have anything. He's the king of heaven. It's all heaven's glory. But where does he choose to be born? He chooses to be born to a poor family and laid in a, in a, in a feeding trough for animals and in a stable where, where, where the animals would have been. I think it also suggests, doesn't it, and, and brings home that Jesus, uh, right from his birth, was stuck into the muck of life. It's all very earthy, it's very concrete, it's not a pristine hospital maternity ward, it's not a pristine home birth, it's not very polished. It's a stable where the animals are being kept, a bed of straw. It's very earthly. He's born amidst the muck of life. So Luke wants us to see how far Jesus stooped down to come to earth. He came all the way from glory of heaven and stooped uh, to be laid in a manger. But I think it also points prophetically to how far Jesus would stoop when he came to die on the cross to be our saviour. He stooped to a manger, but he also stooped to a rugged cross to be our saviour, king and lord. I think this is picked up by Simeon, this elderly saint, later on in our passage, when Simeon meets Mary and Joseph and he meets baby Jesus himself and he holds Jesus in his arms and it's been uh, prophetically shown to him that he'll see the Messiah before he dies. And as he sees Jesus and he holds him in his arms, he says he's seen the salvation of the Lord. As he holds Jesus in his arms, he's seen God's salvation in Jesus. And he says he can now depart in peace. He's not scared of death anymore. He knows he's seen the Saviour. He has no fear of death. And he goes on to prophesy what Jesus will do. He says Jesus, through his work on the cross, will be for the rising and falling of many. He'll uh, lift up the humble who trust in him. And he'll bring down the proud who oppose God. And he says that a sword will pierce Mary's own soul too. That sword piercing Mary's own soul seems to point to the, the cost and the pain of Jesus' crucifixion. It would be costly for Mary as she sees her own son, her firstborn son, dying on the cross, suffering there on the cross. It would be costly for her. But of course it would be costly for Jesus as well as he suffers a painful death on the cross. And yet, because Simeon's seen Jesus, he says he knows he can die in peace. He's not fearful of death anymore. So Luke wants us to see how far Jesus would stoop to be our Saviour. He stoops to a manger, and he stooped to a rugged cross to be our Saviour, King, and the Christ. Well, I guess a couple of applications on this point as we look at Jesus and Luke's picture of Jesus. Firstly, are, are you and I willing to bow to this king? Uh, we see his picture of king, of King Jesus. Are we willing to bow to this king? It might take us to swallow our pride. But we bow to this king who would stoop to lie in a manger and stoop to a rugged cross. But also, I think if we do that, I think there's also a peace and assurance which comes with that. A peace which comes with recognising having Jesus as our own king. You know, the angels announced, didn't they, a message of peace to the shepherds. There's a peace that coming actually that knowing that Jesus, who's the true king of the world and of Lord and of history and time, not Caesar, not anybody else, not anyone who persecutes believers, Jesus is king. 
And Simeon himself could say, as he knew and he saw the salvation of the Lord in Jesus, Simeon himself said, I can die in peace. So there's a challenge. Will I bow the knee to this king? Or an assurance that comes from knowing him as the king, a peace that comes from knowing and trusting in him. So that's the first thing Luke would want us to see. See heaven's king who stooped to a manger and stooped to a rugged cross to save us. But here's the second thing I think Luke would want us to grasp about Jesus this morning. He says we need to worship and rejoice in heaven's king who graciously came for the outsider. Worship and rejoice in heaven's king who graciously came for the outsider. I get this from verse 8 to 14. So have a look down at verse 8 to 14 with me where it says this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock, their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Again, there's lots of truths packed in here in these verses about Jesus. The angels announced that Jesus is the Savior and he's Christ the Lord. The title Christ the Lord literally means he's the anointed one, he's the Messiah. And we see that title twice in our passage for Jesus. The, the angels call him Christ the Lord. And he's called Christ the Lord in that section about Simeon. Uh, to say that he's the Lord is also a, a name for God. So this is God come to earth in this promised king. One thing that's quite, uh, I think, delightful about the account is, is this description of the angels. Where we're told this angels, uh, this heavenly host appear. Uh, to call him a, a multitude of angels, this host of angels, call him an army of angels. But the thing about this army of angels is they don't come declaring battle or war. They've come to declare peace. It's an army which come declaring peace. But one of the things that's quite surprising, though, about what the angels say, it, who the angels go to, is the people who they choose to announce the news first of all to. And the people they choose first to let know is this group of shepherds, isn't it? Because shepherds were a despised group. They were excluded from a lot of Israel's religious life. Maybe some shepherds might have had a reputation for stealing other people's sheep if you know, flocks got mixed up with other people's sheep. And they were certainly a working class group and on the margins of society. And yes, to these marginalised, despised shepherds that God chooses to be the first people to know outside of the, immediate, outside of the family... Outside of the family, they are the first to be made known by the coming of God's Son. God could have chosen to share it with anyone, but he chooses to share it with these marginalised, despised shepherds. You think for a moment, if you have news to share, exciting news to share with people, who are the kind of first people you would normally tell if you have exciting news to share with people? You might share it with your friends or family. You might share exciting news on social media. And God could have chosen anybody to be the first people to know about his son, Jesus. He could have chosen the elite. He could have chosen people of the establishment. He could have chosen the religious leaders. But instead he chooses this despised group of shepherds. It shows clearly, doesn't it, that Jesus came 
for the outsider. Jesus came for those on the margins. Uh, if you or I ever feel on the margins of society, then Jesus came for you. This is a God of grace who wants to bring the outsider into his kingdom. He's reaching out to those on the margins. Jesus came for them. This is good news of a God who's gracious, a saviour who's gracious, wants to reach out to those who feel on the edge of things. And the shepherds are immediately excited. They go and they decide to go and look into things. So they dash off to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, they find everything exactly as they were told it would be. The word of the angel was entirely, entirely reliable and true. Everything was exactly as they were told to expect to find it. One of the things I love about Luke's gospel is how Luke wants to in, increase our confidence in God's word and the trustworthiness of his word and the gospel. You might remember if you've read Luke's gospel, he starts off telling us that the whole reason he wrote his gospel was so we could have confidence and certainty in the things that we've been taught about Jesus. And Luke does that as he, as he writes his whole gospel. We see uh, the words and promises and prophecies of God being fulfilled. We see different people who encountered and witnessed Jesus and their evidence and testimony for Jesus. Uh, we see Luke, the careful historian, researching things, carefully putting things down, interviewing people. And then lastly, we see Jesus, uh, the risen king who conquered death and rose again. Because he's the son of David, Christ the Lord. So just like the shepherds had confidence, because everything was exactly uh, as they were told. So Luke would want us to have, have confidence in Jesus, in the word of Jesus. So it's no surprise then that when the shepherds see the family, they meet the family, they see the, the child... It's almost like they leave with a spring in their step and they go and spread the word about everything they've seen and heard. Everything was as exactly as they were told. Now, one of the things which Luke repeats and comes out time and again in our passage there is actually when people meet the family and they see Jesus for themselves, actually people are filled with praise and joy at what they've seen. So the shepherds glorified and praised God, didn't they? The angels praised and worshipped God singing praises to God as this heavenly army bring this song of peace. Simeon blessed and praised God. And Anna the prophetess thanked God for what he was doing, bringing redemption to his people. So, you know, you and I too, as well, if we understand this, if we see why Jesus' good news of great joy, we actually should want to join them in their praise and worship of God. As the angels sing glory to God in the highest on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That Jesus is a light for revelation and glory to God's people. Now how can we, if we know Jesus, if we see why his good news of great joy, how can we not join them, or want to join them in praising God? Like joining the heavenly host as they praise God. It's entirely fitting and right, isn't it? At Christmas we have Christmas carols which we sing each year to, to, to put these truths into, into song to help us to praise and worship God. And as well as wanting to praise and worship God, we should also want to share it with others. Now how can we keep this news of this saviour, this king, to ourselves? How can we not want to share it with others? You know, the shepherds, as they left and went back home to their fields and their sheep, they went with a spring in their step and they shared and they gossiped the gospel to others, what they'd seen and heard, it was all exactly as they'd been told. So how can we not praise God for sending Jesus? How can we not share Jesus with others around us? A few of us went yesterday to visit some of the elderly members of our fellowship who we went singing carols. 
and uh, we went to Pauline Hannah, who's in a, in, a care, in a residential home, and we sang there for her and some of the other residents in the home. And we went to Robert and Betty Pattinson, and it's great to see Robert out of hospital now, and we went into their living room and sang to them. And I know in the afternoon, some people went to Betty's house as well, in the afternoon to sing at Betty's house. And it's lovely to spend time with them, sing them, sing with them together Christmas carols. And you know, I think there's one Christmas carol which actually captures some of the truth and the tone and the feel of our passage today. It's the song, O Come All Ye Faithful, where it says this. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, glory in the highest. O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. So when we see and grasp and understand these things, how can we not praise Jesus and how can we not want to share him with others? The King of heaven who came from glory, for you and I, he would go all the way from the highest place, stoop to a lowly manger and the rugged cross to be our saviour and king. And he came to show his grace and his kindness and his love to those on the margins and those on the outside to bring them in. How can we not praise him? How can we not share him with others? I think we might be actually finishing with that song. Now the carol, O come all ye faithful. So give a moment for the music group to come back up and then we'll sing together, O come all ye faithful. Sing really loudly as well.